others. And in the world in which we live, remove any obstacles that block our way to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have our first reading, our only reading. Thanks, Meredith. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan. (coughs) And they were baptised by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for the baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you (coughs) with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated. Even more peace. We've said peace a lot this morning. And that's good. This season, this second Sunday in Advent, peace is given to you. It was given for you. We have, in the birth of Christ, a promise of peace. Peace that started with a baby in a manger. And this peace has multiple different parts to it. And this morning, I would say that there are three particular parts. There's threefold. Firstly, we have the promise of peace with God through Jesus Christ. The gap, the chasm between God and man has been bridged. The relationship that was once broken can be mended. God and humankind, their relationship can be restored. Our relationship with God can be restored. There is peace. 
Secondly, there is the promise of peace on earth. Peace here. Despite what it looks like today, on the news, maybe even in our own lives, one day we are promised that the lion will lay down with the lamb. Wars, violence, sickness, pain will cease. Death will be conquered forever and sin will be no more. And thirdly, we have the promise that peace is here for us right now, in our daily lives, in the midst of the busyness of Christmas, of the daily challenges that we will face with family, with friends, with work, with our health, with all sorts of things. We have this promise that God's peace surpasses all understanding and that this peace comes from God and from the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. In today's Gospel reading, similarly to last week's reading, we could be uh, caught for thinking, this isn't talking about peace. We can see that it is a strong worded piece of Scripture and John says some pretty strong things here. And John was a fiery character. He was a fiery man, the old John the Baptist. He dressed in some strange ways. He ate some strange food. Bit of an odd character. Bit like an Old Testament prophet in many ways. But John bridged the Old and the New Testaments. For John the Baptist, in his own rugged way, paved the way for the true peace that was coming. The true peace to be encountered in Jesus Christ, who is our peace. John was the opening act. His message was a powerful and strongly worded message, and it had a huge effect on the people in Judea and Jerusalem. They responded in droves to the preaching of John the Baptist. And I pray today that they respond this Christmas in droves to the preaching of Jesus Christ. And Jesus did say of John that of those born of women on earth, none was greater than John the Baptist, except for those born in the kingdom of heaven. And John preached a very simple message, a very simple message. He said this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John spoke of the kingdom coming near, that the kingdom itself, we know, came in Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. John was preparing people for the message that Jesus would preach, would, would, would be a similar message, but one that would say that salvation was found in Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus, the Messiah himself. Now, in modern times, many of us have grown scared of the word repent, and probably for good reason. For some of us, it invokes the idea of fire and brimstone preaching, of preachers who scared audiences, who ranted and raved, who spoke of fearful things to convince people of their need for God. Or perhaps of more Old Testament prophets that preached of the impending doom that was coming unless people changed their lives. And these connotations are valid concerns about preaching. But what they don't do is they don't touch on the heart of what repentance truly is. Really, what we need to do is we need to understand repentance from a contextual standpoint. Stuart has spoke recently about the importance of context. Having a contextual theology when reading the Bible is crucial. Context for then, context for now. We need to know 
that just because something has been used a certain way, that's not necessarily the way we need to interpret it. The word repent here, used in the text in Greek, is metaneo. There is other ways to pronounce that word, but I'm not going to attempt them. And it literally means to change one's own mind. And the analogy has often been used that it means to turn around, change a pattern of thinking, and very importantly, pattern of acting. To turn around, turn back to God, to do a U-turn from what we had been doing. Repentance is when the realization, the revelation, the light bulb moment that we have occurs and we realize our wrong. And most importantly from that, we turn around, we change. And I don't know about you, but I most certainly have experienced this moment in my Christian walk, the need to repent, the need to turn around, turn back to God. I've experienced it in other areas of life as well, because uh, I've learned something very, very important in my 13 years of marriage. My wife is always right, and when she's wrong, she's right. Sometimes I think she isn't right, but then I learn that she is. And it's in this encounter with my wife that my mind needs to change, and I need to do a U-turn in my thinking. And this is repentance. It's just a different way of looking at it. Sometimes repentance like this comes with remorse, perhaps with grieving over my own wrongs or the punishment that will come. But ultimately, the beauty of repentance is that it brings peace. It brings peace to two parties that weren't at peace, two parties in conflict. It brings peace to the situation and it brings peace to the individuals. Peace, though, does come at a cost, and we know this. Any peace does come at a cost. And as we encounter Jesus in our lives, we not only learn that He paid a great cost for our peace, but that for peace to exist, there must be a continuing commitment for it, a continued commitment to peace. We need only look at our world history to see that regardless of the context that we're talking about, all the specific examples even, keeping peace takes commitment, takes time, takes action. We must change and commit to change for repentance to really be repentance. We must really turn around, not just turn around a little bit, we must really commit to it. It must be a change of mind but also a change in action. It's no good to even say the right words if the actions don't follow. For we all know this is the largest accusation against the Christian church, right? We are hypocrites. All talk and no follow through. People accuse the church of this simple thing. We don't look like the saviour we profess to follow. We don't have the fruit. And John warned the Pharisees of this exact same thing. He said, bear fruit worthy of repentance. And when we repent, when we turn around, the true sign that it has occurred is that we have fruit in our lives. We have actions that demonstrate that we have repented. We bear fruit. We bear fruit. And the idea of fruit this morning might seem like a really elementary thing. 
It might seem really, really simple. But it's so often the case in our Christian life, in the Christian walk, it is the smallest things that are of the most importance in the everyday. Small things. Fruit in our lives is what counts. John understood this. He said it in a very aggressive way, you brood of vipers. But John understood this. And we need to understand it as well. For instance, a fruit in your life this morning is that you are here at church. That is a fruit in your life. You are here this morning. You've committed to come. But this is only one. One fruit. It's not the only one that shows that we are Christian. There are many people who go to church. Many. It's not just about coming to church on Sunday. It's about what we do with every other day of our lives. This Advent season, it can be very easy for us to just let the Christmas train roll on. It'll be done in a few weeks, guys. We'll be back into the new year. It'll be another new year. Christmas will be over. And not be intentional about bearing fruit over this season that we have in front of us. Many of us will be on holidays. We will have more uncommitted time, maybe leisure time than usual, maybe. How we use that time to be fruitful in our relationship with others, fruitful in our relationship with God, is important. We have an opportunity. John continued to say to the Pharisees, after he'd talked about fruit, I baptise you with water, but he who is coming after me is more powerful, mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus was indeed mightier, more powerful than John. And one day, his might will come and be on full display. Eternal peace will reign forevermore. And a few weeks ago, we finished a series on Second Thessalonians where we spoke about the parousia or the parousia, the second coming of Christ, when Jesus will return with a company of angels in the clouds on full display. Peace will come to earth in a whole new way. And John the Baptist is talking about this in our passage this morning as well. He says something very strong. He says that Jesus will come with his winnowing fork in his hand. And basically, it's just a pitchfork that would be used during the harvest. But this winnowing fork, this tool that was used in the harvest, was used to separate the good and the bad, to remove what was bad. It may sound brutal, and in one way, I'm sure it will be. But we must remember that the whole point of the winnowing fork, the whole reason that John preaches of this is because he is talking about the peace that will come. The reason there is a winnowing fork. This might be brutal. Jesus' death was brutal as well. But it brought peace. The winnowing fork will be brutal, but it will bring peace. And this justification doesn't lie for us to worry too much about because it is in God's domain and not mine, not ours. We need to know that the fork is ultimately meant for good, not to harm, to get rid of the bad and bring the good to life. And once the wheat has been brought into the granary, John says, the chaff will be burnt away, purified, made perfect, holy. 
Peace will reign forevermore. Death and sickness, pain, evil will be done with. This was a warning to the Pharisees, the way that John spoke it. But let's be very clear just how much like them we can be. We can get caught up just like them in all sorts of things that aren't important, just as they did, or I know I can. We like to be validated. I like to be validated. Like to look good in front of other people. Our image is important to us. Certainly, Christians can fall into the danger of wanting to be seen as good. We like to be seen as righteous. I know, I I do. Perhaps even better than other people. When you say it out loud, it doesn't sound very good. This is a huge trap. What matters is who we really are and who Christ is and who Christ makes us to be. Good not in ourselves, but good because of Him. Scripture tells us that Christ brings peace to us and makes us whole. Peace is offered freely to us. Let us not be blind, but let's take what is offered. Let's hear the preaching of John the Baptist. Heed the warning. This morning as we draw near to Christmas, my prayer is that we would repent. Turn around afresh. That we would turn to God. For it's in this that peace in our daily lives is available to us in turning to God. John said that he, Jesus, baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Holy Spirit and with fire. He will burn away the bad, just like the fire in the end will burn away the chaff in our lives. We know that the Holy Spirit brings peace. He brings more than this, but he most definitely brings peace to our lives. And when we repent, he comes in. We've talked a fair amount this morning about fruit, and anyone who went to Sunday school will be able to say, quote, with some confidence of memory, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You can keep going. I can hear the word. Yeah, I can hear the whispers. That's good. Peace is one of those great fruits that the Holy Spirit brings. This peace is accessible to us as believers. And as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, he brings this beautiful peace. He bears witness to Jesus the Messiah. He puts peace in our hearts. Our lives can bear his peace also. We as Christians can bring the Holy Spirit with us into situations, circumstances in our world and bring the peace of God. This is a powerful thing that we need to learn. The Holy Spirit can work in and through us. And the peace doesn't come by looking at amazing scenery, although I did love this picture. It's pretty beautiful. And finding quiet solitude is one of the important ways in which we encounter God and His Spirit. And I do pray that for all of us, we find a moment like this one, this Christmas. Find some peace in solitude. But the Holy Spirit works in us as we commune with God. Things might be tumultuous for you right now in this season. You might be sitting here this morning and life is pretty rough. God promises to you through Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit, peace. If you will seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened to you. 
We can find peace this Advent season through Jesus Christ and His atoning work on the cross and through the Holy Spirit at work in us as we repent. This morning I wanted to end off by encouraging us in something that isn't just theoretical. I want to encourage us this Christmas in the lead up to find some solitude and to read the Christmas story. Many of you will already be doing this, I know. It's a thing we do at Christmas. But I truly believe in a practical sense that as we read in Scripture the story of peace come to earth, we will encounter afresh Jesus Christ, encounter afresh the Holy Spirit and the peace that He brings. Many this Christmas will try things like yoga and meditation, mindfulness, whatever else. Not that those things necessarily are bad in complete utterance. But I would contend this morning that peace, true peace, became that night, is found in Jesus Christ. It is God's gift to us. And when Jesus had finished and come to the end of his work on earth, he left us with the Holy Spirit to continue in that peace. Jesus said, actually, in John 16, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. Very encouraging for us. But take heart. I have overcome the world. This Christmas, may we have even more peace. Amen. We're going to sing together. Would you please stand?